Welcome to Coffee Around La Mesa, our weekly Tuesday afternoon service broadcast of the United Church of Chapel Hill. During this Lenten season, it's a place of joy, fellowship, and discussion around this past Sunday's sermon. Coffee Around La Mesa, or tea as the case may be, or that real green stuff that Pastor David seems to like. Whatever your chosen beverage, we're so glad you've joined us for the fun and conversation. Welcome. Hi, friends. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? <laughs> Welcome to Coffee um, Around La Mesa. Uh, I have a wonderful uh, news for you today. Uh, I got many, many comments from people who have listened to the podcast. Especially, uh, I want to say uh, hello to our friend Annie, um, uh, what's her last name? Um, Campbell, Annie Campbell from uh, United Kingdom, oh, cool. who has uh, reported our podcast, and she was uh, um, very happy about it because she's this kind of progressive Christian who was trying to detox from um, toxic Christianity. Yeah. So she's right. very happy about it. And she, she's a specialist in marketing, and she gave me a lot of suggestions about how to uh, let this uh, podcast known better uh, so around the world. So we'll take seriously her considerations and her and opinions. I think that um, she's an expert on that. So That's uh, I'm just taking note of what our, her suggestions. So Annie, thank you for your um, following us. We appreciate that. Uh, so our podcast is uh, it's um, it's uh, uh, supported by uh, sponsored by the United Church of Chapel Hill in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So and um, and this is part of a service that is bilingual in our church, who's called La Mesa. And so we are so glad uh, to have you here. So what's up with you? I just want to say, I just want to reiterate what you're saying too. Like, thank you, Annie. And it's been really fun having that feedback from so many friends of mine too. Like, Debbie tried to out me last talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been really fun. Like, you know, I have good friends who I used to be a missionary with. And um, we used to all be missionaries together. And it's been fun, like, just reconnecting with them and talking about the podcast and talking about how much fun we're having. And then, you know, kind of what to do with scripture. How do you unpack it when you are... Uh, Either, you know, there's that term, deconstructing, or when you've been part of toxic Christianity, or when you're maybe not sure where you're at. You know, I have friends who used to be Catholic. They grew up like that. And then now they're like, I don't know. And, um, you know, I had a friend who was like, I just fell asleep during the sermons. I stayed awake for your podcast. And so that, I don't know, that's been just like really fun to hear feedback from friends who are in different places. Um, in their lives, and then let's just talk about scripture and talk about, mm -hmm. you know, who is this Jesus person? What mm -hmm. does Mark mean? And um, yeah, so I, I kind of appreciate that as well, David. Yeah, I understand when she said, oh, he says that um, you sleep during the service. I've, se <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen past. Uh, I've, uh, Particularly as a pastor, I've seen many people sleeping on my sermons. Oh, yeah. So that's not a good thing to say. Well, you know what was funny was I told him, he said he was daydreaming. And I said, what if that's actually the spirit of God? Like, what if 
you went to a sermon and it wasn't about what was being preached, what if it was actually for your spirit, your mind to take a break and daydream and have visions? Like, what if that was actually... That, that's sleeping. That's dreaming. That's trash. Oh, man. I'm trying to rationalize and justify something. So what about, what about you, Ben? How was your weekend? Oh, the weekend was lovely. The week was good. Um, as I told you last week, uh, Candace and I celebrated our uh, 31st anniversary of our first date, and that was lovely. We ordered food at Majano's, picked it up, brought it back. Oh, yum. Sat back and watched a fun movie at home. Um, so that was just fantastic. And what's going to be really great this week is on um, Wednesday, uh, day after tomorrow, I am taking my mother in for her second COVID vaccine. So both of my parents will be fully vaccinated. So I'm very, very pleased about oh, that. I'm glad. So we want to say hello to in our prayers with people, with our friends in uh, Texas who yes. are suffering all these things of, of yes. climate change. Uh, well, people, you know, this is one of the things. I don't get it. Uh, people, even when they see this issue of climate change, they don't accept it. And, right. and, and what is sad is more of the, of the you know, let's say right-wing Christianity, yeah. they deny cli climate change. Right. Uh, so that's very sad because we've seen all these changes in the, in the planet and, you know, and, and people don't really accept it as a, as a fact. Um, yep. That's very sad. The other thing is that that goes to two directions. One is, uh, one is, is that we are not taking care of our planet, and that's not being a good stewards. Yeah. Uh, and that says a lot about our Christianity, too. And the second thing is that um, there is kind of conspiracy theory about um, that, no, don't worry about that. Those are just uh, signals or signs of the coming of the second coming of Christ. Right. Mm. So you don't worry about that. Mm. So it's, it's, it's about Jesus coming back. Right. Mm. But you don't have to worry about the, the planet. <laughs> That's kind of Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It, it brings me back to what we were talking about. The question that you raised to both Stacy and I last week about what is it like? What was it like for a mm -hmm. first or second mm -hmm. century Christian mm -hmm. back then? And uh, Stacy and I both came up with, you know, sort of odd answers about it because, you know, you sort of hit, it, hit us with something that I hadn't really sat down and thought about. And it got me thinking. And when you think about a first or, or first or second century person of any sort, Christian or otherwise, they, at that time, their worldview was just what was on this planet and mm. nothing beyond. They had mm. no idea, you know, they figure, well, back then, they felt that the sun rotated around the Earth. Sure, there weren't microscopes. Absolutely, there were no telescopes. Or telescopes. And you know, that came, geez, you know, 15 lady. centuries later. And mm. then the Earth was flat for them. And we were talking about Peter and James and how, uh, Peter and John, and how they were told, don't tell anyone about this wonderful mm. event at the yeah. top of the mountain. Yeah. And then we come back down and you had this wonderful thing about how it's so important to get back to the pragmatic, practical mm. stuff mm. of doing our faith and filling up our cup. Mm. And this week's scripture and uh, your sermon speak to that all over again. But it's, it starts off with, you know, we talk about our, some of our fundamentalist friends who don't really 
want to look at a worldview, don't want to look at mm. all of the additional knowledge that we have gained. And so, so I was just thinking about what has to do with climate change. That was my point. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because they're, like, they're deciding, I don't want to know anymore. I just want to deal with what is written in this Bible as inerrant text, as mm. being that is the only thing that is true. And there's nothing more that I need to know. Mm. And it's, an, it's a deliberate sort of choice to say, I don't need to know anything else. Mm. When we've been given this gift of intelligence to learn, and in the same way that Peter, James, and John, they had to, you know, this inner circle, even Christ knew that they didn't know. And he says, but once you are given more knowledge about the fact that I am truly the Messiah, then you can go about preaching and starting the Christian church. And I see gigantic parallels between the two. The thing is that, you know, landing in the conversation of climate change, the Mm -hmm. thing is that the Bible is not a scientific book. At all. (laughs) Even when you try to say, well, you know, uh, Old Testament speak about the... um, you know, the, the earth as in the sphere, even when you try to explain uh, even some um, things about clouds and sun, the movement of the sun, it, in the stars, that's good. But you're reading the Bible from your knowledge that you already have about uh, the cosmos today. Yep. So you are, in, you are putting your input, your knowledge from school when reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, but the Bible is not a scientific book. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's a collection of, of stories, a collection of books in different times, different writers, different people, op- different opinions. It was the way of how a nation that is called Israel interpret their own way of interpreting uh, what God is and how God behaves or reacts and or relates to them, yeah. that particular nation. So, and that's very hard to really accept that, but mm. because we have had this idea that the Bible is just a one solid state book, mm. and it's not. It's an encyclopedia. It's, a, it's an encyclopedia. Different books. Yeah, they make sense. Yes, it's, it's a great collection of book, of course. Whoever edited, or <laughs> it was amazing, a brilliant guy, well, brilliant people. But it's a book who is not a scientific book. So we cannot yeah. go there and try to uh, get some uh, scientific explanations mm. to what's happening in the world today. Yeah. It's purely earthbound because they didn't really think of anything else beyond the earth. Everything mm. is based on here's the earth. Everything rotates around us. And they, you know, even diseases that we have, they didn't know about germs at the time. They just saw everything as the supernatural beyond anything that they understood at the time. Mm. So that's kind of where I see this connection (laughs) with some folks who deny climate change. They just simply want, I should know no more than what is in this book that was written 2,000 years ago. You know, there's 66 books that become the Bible. So that's where I see the connection. And just you were talking about last week is filling up our cup. Mm. You know, we saw the Trinity with uh, what we had in the scripture from last week. And this week we see it again. The Holy Spirit 
And right after this really wonderful sanctified event that occurs, we are then, well, Christ is then thrust back into the pragmatic hard work yeah. of living out that faith. He had 40 days of being tempted by the devil. And what that really means in modern sure. day is hard to understand, but nevertheless, it's we fill our cup with our faith and then we go out in the world and do good. And I see that as a marvelous example. I, I thought it was brilliant what you had to say mm. last week. So We're, now that you, you got into the topic of the, of the, the weekend, um, um, so yesterday we were talking about Jesus going out to the desert and um, experience his own moment of um, solitude and being, being by himself, trying to make sense of his ministry or whatever it was at. And, and is, this happened right after the death of John the Baptist. Yep. So in that moment, it's very crucial because you, he, there's no leadership in Israel and the, the last prophet has, has passed away and now it's a chance for a new prophet. Uh, so who's taking the leadership? Who's taking the church? And, and then Jesus experiences things that we can debate more about that. But then God speaks in the middle, in the midst of the, of the desert saying, you know, I'm glad you're here. You're my son. And, and then he spends 40, 40 uh, days there in, in fasting and battling, struggling with, the whole, with his own demons. And then he get out of there. And preach. Mm -hmm. So, what you got from that yesterday, Stacy? Um, gosh, so much, right? There's so much to unpack. Um, you know, like we talked about last week, this whole thing of Mark and identity, the identity of Christ. Who do you say I am, right? And then, just like last week, we had this voice that came and said, "Listen to him." And now we have this voice that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I think that is something that uh, as, as, as long as I have been, quote unquote, a Christian, part of Christianity, uh, is like a goal. Like, right? Like, we, we, want, we want, quote, unquote, God to be saying that to us at some point or not some day, right? Like, that's just, like, so what I feel like I've heard, like, um, in my early uh, days as uh, a person who was starting to, like, figure out and follow Christ, whatever that meant. Um, so, yeah, what does that mean for us? And what is that, what did that mean for Christ? And, um when you guys were talking, I didn't get to jump in, but I was, I was just thinking about like how, how much we put on <laughs> God, how much we put on Jesus. But then there's also this thing with like how much we put on the Bible. Like you're saying like, Oh, you know, we, we expect it to be an encyclopedia or we expect it to be a biology book. Or like what? Like it was never intended to be that. Like, why are we putting it on that? And so in some of the scripture, what are we putting putting on it that isn't for us, or what are we putting on it that might be for us? So, um, in thinking about you know Jesus's uh, time in the desert where he fasted and he was praying, like, am I supposed to do that? Like, do I need a forty day retreat like once a year? I mean, that's not an option, but um, 
I don't know many moms who have that as an option or many parents. Um, but like, you know, am I supposed to be doing that? Like, am I supposed to be like living by his example or am I supposed to be learning from his example without the, uh, requirement to one day wait for God to say to me, this is my child with whom I'm well pleased. Well, and, and you know, uh, I know you have to say things, but you know, the serious thing about this is when you say you are my son, um, there's a lot of people saying, well, you see, it's Jesus now. And there's many people getting, getting upset about it because, well, they say it, the Bible does, in that particular passage, doesn't say it's the unique and only son. Right. right. So, yes. So, so when you say this is my son, is implicitly saying that's the only is the only one or there are many others yes right like does god say that to me does god say to me you are my child because i i am a female person i am not a son and so i i am i a child of god am i a child of god who with whom god is well pleased is that my goal you know was that jesus's goal and like, like you said, is he the only one? I mean, I don't think so. No, it's, I, it's, I don't. it's all of us. I mean, we were talking about that everlasting love. Despite all of our faults and our failures and incompleteness that we are, this is that, you know, this is an example for all who have seen and witnessed the miracles that Jesus did and the miracles that we read about. That is an example for us. God loves us totally and completely. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the yes. action part, you know, the part that gets up and does stuff. In the scripture it says, and the Holy Spirit compels Jesus to go to the desert, to do the work, to, and then he is aided by the angels that, you know, to protect him from the wild animals and, his, and, and the temptations. And I think that's wonderful. That's an example. So I think you're absolutely correct. God loves all of us, mm. and he is pleased with all of us as mm. his children. Mm. And he gives us what is necessary for us to go out into the world and be good to each other, mm. to be compassionate with each other, to take leaps of faith and to do things that we find to be dangerous mm. or just compelling and different so that it's like I don't know if I can do this but we do it anyway Mm. and our faith fills that cup it fills up our cup Mm. we fill the tank of our efforts and our energy and putting the Holy Spirit's action part of the Trinity into action by our being filled up and drinking of that faith and going forth and doing great things. So I think it, it speaks to me. That's how it speaks to me. Well, you're, you're moving a little bit. But th- this is the thing. Mm-hmm. When you speak about Holy Spirit, this is kind of language that is very Christian language. Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we could just say the Spirit, too. I mean, there's a lot of... Right, like the spirit is present. Like we could we could say that without it having to be. So, but what you meant with that when you say the Holy Spirit, 
Is this the energy? What is that? What is moving Christ to go sure. to the desert? Mm-hmm. Of course, now, as I said, we, we put our lenses, our Christian lenses. Yeah. Sure, the, the, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> but, but what about people who doesn't really understand this? Yeah. How they read these stories? But then when yeah, you go to other religions, you see a similar thing. It's that part of us that compels us to do the right things in the world. To okay, treat but each is other that conscience? Conscience? I would think so. That's how I take it. Can we use With those words anonymously? So what, what about what about when you feel like this inner voice who's telling yeah. you the two things? Like that's what I'm saying. I'm trying just to dismystify this concept of the Holy Spirit yeah. right. and say it in a word that people can understand is mm-hmm. yeah. my inner voice is telling me stop drinking. Exactly. Yeah. My inner voice is telling me go out of this situation and spend 40 days in a fasting moment and then get out from there transforming a new person. Yeah. So it's like people fasting for, for losing weight, right? Yep. It's like... I'm going to stay, uh, spend this time in trying to get well with this. I'm going to try to like in a be more healthy, way. whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case is, what okay. I'm saying is, is that this inner voice is telling you, is telling you to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And what happened is that I'm sure Jesus was obeying his inner voice, going to the desert huh. and doing the right thing. Hmm. But what happened when that right thing is ugly? Yeah, <laughs> because going to the desert, he was just struggling with all these animals and and demons. He oh, was, by he ugly, was you hungry. Mean hard, what, what I'm saying is hard. that he was hungry, huh. and right. he's not having a, a beach time in the desert, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's he's struggling with things. What I'm saying is that doing what is right sometimes involves suffering. Yeah, yeah. pain, suffering, it's involves sacrifice. Some discipline and involves some things that we don't like to uh, in our lives. Exactly. But of course at the end of the day we're more empowered, we're changed, we're better, but during this process of 40 days that you're hungry, oof, it's not easy. You know? So there's something about the spirit that is very inspirational, potentially spontaneous, but also there's a discipline. I feel like is what you're saying. There's a discipline to it. It's not just, and I feel inspired to give the person standing on the side of the road who might be experiencing homelessness 10 bucks, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just that, that there is a discipline that comes with following the spirit, whatever that means, whether it's your conscience, uh, your inner voice, your connection to spirit, there, there is a discipline to it. And, and what I think, and you and I have talked about this. Remember I told you about my kids and their um, kind dog and their mean dog and which voice do they listen to? Do you remember we talked about that? Sure. Yeah, and so like uh, the more we, so I've always told my kids like there's two dogs that live inside of you. <laughs> we had a dog, so it was a good analogy. And one of them is this really kind, beautiful, good, quote unquote, dog. And the other one is this ugly, nasty, contriving dog. And you feed them in every decision you make. Mm-hmm. And by the time that you're 23, which dog do you want to be the healthy big dog in, right. that lives within you? Like whatever words you want to use around that. That's what we did in our family. And because you know what? That's the dog who will be the loudest because they'll be the healthiest. And so we've always talked about trying to listen to that, but like not just listening to it to like act on it. And then what comes out of that 
is that it's a, it's, it's a louder voice in your head. Mm-hmm. It's easier to listen to. The longer that you choose to say yes to the spirit that's prompting you to do a decent, I hate the word good, but like I'm lacking better words right now, like to do a decent thing, to do the quote unquote right thing, to do the good thing, like that's what you're gonna get used to. Mm-hmm. That's the rhythm, that's the like, you know, way that you're going to live your life if you, if you just get into that space. And, you know, Jesus had the quote unquote discipline to do that. He wasn't just living spontaneously. I mean, he was at some time he was walking around. He was like, Hey, you come with me. Hey, you come with me. And people were like standing up and just going with him. Like we see in the scripture from Sunday, like who were those people? And there's like, I'll quit my job and walk away right now. I don't know if it was that spontaneous, but like, you know, the more discipline that we have, the easier it gets to say yes to what is like affirming uh, and what we're called to do, I think, in our lives. Right. Well, but does it, as I said, go back to this, is that a regular person who reads this story, uh, what can that person understand from this story without the language of uh, the, the Christian uh, language yeah. of, the, of yeah. the Bible? Christian Bible is a it's, it's a it's a Christian Bible, so we need to put some language on that. Sure. But what I'm saying is that Jesus, uh, in some ways, making this decision from the human human stance, listens to this voice, and and he doesn't say himself the spirit tell told me or is telling me. He's just hears this voice. Hmm. But what I'm saying is that. How many people today is using the language of the Holy Spirit is telling me mm-hmm. to do cruel things, mm. to do like misleading things? Yes. You will see on many people speaking about the Holy Spirit and even experiencing things on the Holy Spirit. And then at the, at the end of the, the, the bottom line is that they, they, they are acting like like cruel people how how yeah. that can happen yeah so and i'd rather i'll tell you i'd rather to ask people is that the holy spirit telling you that or is your inner voice mm-hmm. because sometimes it's it's better to listen the inner voice of the holy spirit what mm-hmm. they call the holy spirit right mm-hmm. because your inner voice they will tell you the wrong thing it's mm-hmm. just this no mm-hmm. moral north that you have right mm-hmm. that is this moral compass exactly that you have inside that is Leading you to do the right thing, hmm. but what happened when we just mute the, the inner voice? That's the problem. And uh, what I'm saying is that, in other words, uh, this language of the Holy Spirit telling people to do things, I'm very careful with that. Yeah. Because in my experience, and I can tell you many, many times when people in Honduras, when I was in, in a specific church there. People telling me, you know, oh, you know what? The Holy Spirit is telling me you to tell you this. <laughs> and I was just kind of, okay. <laughs> you know, wh- why did the, ho- the Holy Spirit didn't tell me that? Always, <laughs> always that, yes. <laughs> it's just, and it's if just, God wanted to talk to me, why didn't God talk to me directly? Why did God why, use what's you? What's going on? What you got here? <laughs> like, it's, it's just kidnapping the language. That's all. I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, and you were trying to seek out a word that was, you know, different than good, but it's, you know, it's positive or negative. Hmm. If we do something that is positive in the world, it has an impact. If we do something that is negative in the world, it has an impact. And 
our moral compass hmm. tells us which one is good and which one is bad, which one is helpful. But I think what we're is... saying is, does it always? Sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that any of us... Not it, to interrupt, it, but... I will say well, that everybody of us mm-hmm. has some kind of divinity in us. Absolutely. We have some divine yes, things. Yes, namaste. So, and we are we not alone. So I'm, I'm just sure that... Uh, John Lennon wrote beautiful songs because there was some divine mm, on him that mm, was mm-hmm. producing those songs. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm just, I'm sure that, let's say, uh, Luther Bandros, you know, mm-hmm. he wrote all these beautiful <laughs> songs because the Holy Spirit was, if we call it Holy Spirit, right? He was just invested by this powerful, whatever it is, cosmic <laughs> idea that makes him to do this beautiful song. Yeah, you're you're definitely a, aging yourself about, right now. No, on a regular <laughs> basis, but, but taking we, your Luther Vandross thing. But the, the key Vandross. thing is that this was a wonderful <laughs> talent that he had. And what was positive about it is that he chose to share it with everyone around him throughout mm. his community and worldwide. Mm. That is the thing that moves all of us, is when we have something that we know is valuable, and then we share it. We feel compelled to share it. I mean, it's like writers who write. They Mm -hmm. have to write, Mm -hmm. and they have to get out. But there are a lot of folks that write, but they never share. There are a lot of folks that sing, but they never sing. They only sing in the shower. They never get up on stage. So that's really the biggest thing that I sort of see from all of this is that We have a very clear moral compass within us. And we make a choice as to whether or not we are going to do good, positive things in the world that make others happier, that makes that prepare others for difficult times, that share, that you know, you you reach down and you help someone out by virtue Mm -hmm. of what you do. You know, that ten bucks that you let go of to help someone on the side of the road. You know, I've gone through that too. And I tell myself in my head, give without worry. And that's a leap of faith as to whether or not this person is going to do the right you're, thing you're with so it, but it's not up to man. me. You're so good, Christian. <laughs> you know, but, but that's what Jesus did. I mean, when I was a social worker, right? Like my right? first degree is in social work. I worked with homeless people experiencing homelessness who were in addiction recovery. You know this about me. And Jesus never made anybody, quote unquote, qualify for services. Yep. Ever. Yeah. He never did. And it's, I'm trying not to cuss right now, (laughs) but it's total malarkey for me to buy my friends drinks and worry about if somebody else is going to go spend the $10 I gave them on alcohol. I will never worry about that. And I will always give without qualifications or caring other than like, I love you in my heart. Here's the money. Um, Okay. But here's my question. Mm -hmm. Because you said something that was very interesting. I am curious, and when you were speaking about, okay, so here, so you're a writer, and you have this amazing gift of writing, it's, let's just say whatever the word we're going to use for spirit, spirit divinely inspired, and so you do it, what if you don't publish it? Like our friend Emily Dickinson, right? Like, a lot of friends, a lot of poets, a lot of writers, stuff wasn't submitted or published until after they were dead, so... Does that matter? Is that significant? And if I'm on a tangent, you guys can stop me. But I'm curious about what we would say as Christians, as evangelical Christians. We would say, oh, you're being obedient. Like, you're being obedient to the Spirit. You're doing the work. But, like, 
was that, is that enough? Like just to do it? Do we need to publish it? Be public? Uh, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm curious about that piece of it when you were talking about that. I think for an individual in that situation, we'll take that one example of a writer who has written stuff, but hasn't published it, hasn't shared it with the world. They, again, they are compelled to do it. In the same way that, you know, I sort of think about, you know, Christ didn't start preaching until he was 30. Well, and he was also like, don't tell anybody. Exactly. All the time, right? But he didn't do it publicly. He didn't push it out there until he was ready. And maybe, you know, like Emily Dickerson and others, they just didn't feel like they were ready as of yet even though they might have been, but they still put it down on paper. They still did something positive in the world. They still donated to, you know, an anonymous, anonymously to some charity. It's, I think we are inherently good. That's that moral compass that is there. But we also have the capability to be negative, to put negativity out into the world. So, the, uh, well, that's, that's a kind of deep conversation just to say that we are inherently good. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, so and I'm I really putting it on, there, on the but, line. <laughs> but the thing is that my point with this story is what, what this story led to you, uh, you know, talking about the sermon yesterday, what you got from that? Um, is there any something that the sermon really illuminates you? Or, yeah. or mm-hmm. is there something that, uh, that this conversation on Jesus is going to the... Jesus going to the desert mm-hmm. really leaves you with something. What what that story leaves to you? Yeah. Leaves in you. For your application, like I'm going today to the real world. What can I take from this story mm-hmm. that uh, can make me a better person? Not a better Christian, okay? Because that's a different <laughs> thing. Yeah, a better person. It could be a better Christian too, but what I'm saying is a good person is a good Christian. Yeah, humanity is humanity. Stay yeah. human. Yeah, exactly. As Michael Franti would say, stay human. So what, what, <laughs> what, what, what this story led to you? Uh, as I a, think it's a, it, teaches, it teaches us about discipline and practice and understanding who we are. I think that was a time, those 40 days, you know, out in the desert for Jesus was a time for him because he's human to better understand himself. What are his limitations? But for you, what this story is telling you well, that you today go, in, go out and do something? In that same example, and I look at it from my standpoint, uh-huh. it's like, what do I need to do to discipline myself, to stay focused, to do what I need to do? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to not procrastinate? What do I need to do to show compassion for people who have nothing but enmity and meanness toward me? How do I do that? How do I control my emotions? That corporal part of me where all of my emotions come into play. And then we've got this you know, biochemical you know, cocktail that's in our bods in the endocrine system, puts out adrenaline and all of this other stuff. And I, I, am, I may be angry and disappointed with someone, but I also have to be very, very focused on how do I control that? How do I move forward in a way that's positive? That again, and I'm gonna, you know, I said it, I think we are all inherently good. I really do. So for you, it's discipline. You take that from that story. I want to take the discipline of Jesus to go to the desert. And learn who I am so that I can go out and deal with the hardships that are 
the real world. Okay. And for you, Stacy, what do you take from this story? Well, so the, I already told you this, but this is one of my favorite sermons so far that you've preached this year. And I know we're only in February. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have a, you have a long time to like, impress me more. Make sure you do that. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> so uh, what I love, uh, what I loved about this sermon, I'm not going to, I don't want the scripture is fine, but I want to talk about the sermon. What I loved about this sermon is how you how you talked about repentance, and you helped break down what repentance is, and you remind us remind us of what repentance means. Repentance is to just stop and think about it, reflect, and change the direction. Mm. If I was a Christian, I'd say Amen. So uh, that is the biggest takeaway for me because I. As you know, sometimes I don't believe in hope. I think she is a conniving <laughs> liar. Won't use cuss words right now. Um, and repentance is the opposite of that. Repentance is such an amazing opportunity. And you really, you really preach to that. And I, can, I hope we can link your sermon to wherever we post this right. um, so people can read it or listen to it. Because... Um, Repentance is such an opportunity. It's not this like flagellating ourselves. Is that the right word? It's not this yeah. like, you know. It's not guilty. It's not this emotional thing. Yeah. That's and it's not shame. Exactly. You know? And it's growth. Oh my God. And so, right, Mary Oliver says, you do not have to be good. You do not have to, I'm going to misquote her, but you do not have to like crawl a hundred miles on your knees Jeez. through the desert repenting. You just have to, you know, she says all these other things. We'll quote her one day. But you say that, and that's what repentance is. It is, it is such an amazing opportunity. And uh, I can't remember which sermon it was, but it was, uh, it was a Sunday where you hung out with Jeremy and uh, Jeanette Phelps at their house. Mm -hmm. Phillips or Phelps? Sure. I, yeah. You hung out at their house, and it was about forgiveness. And we talked about um, the, um, the, not the details, but like what is a good apology? What, mm -hmm. You know, saying you're sorry can sometimes be such BS. And um, what does it mean to actually repent? What does it actually mean to be sorry? And, um, it, uh, just gosh, like such an opportunity, like every day of my life when I'm like, okay, I totally messed up yesterday. I totally messed up last night. Or I, I said these things and I didn't mean to say them. I got carried away or, you know, I was rude or I was unkind. Like every dawn is a new beginning. Like Absolutely. every day, every morning, every afternoon, every hour, we have the opportunity to say that we are sorry, but that is not enough. We have to take advantage of the opportunity to change course and to do it differently. And even if, even if it's like small, like it's just something small or, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm a mom and I'm in the thick of, 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 of momness and, um, <laughs> trying to raise decent humans. And thankfully my three children are decent humans, uh, not entirely because of me. But, you know, what does our apology look like? What does repentance look like in our family? And what is repentance among the nation? Yes. Oh, the hurt we're doing Corporate. to many groups. Yeah. You know, American, American Indians, for example. Yes. We still have a death with them, you know. Yes. That's, that's a centuries hurt and, you know, wounding 
Uh, what about the Afro-American community? What about yeah. the family separated at the border? Yeah. Uh, so, so how? When are we gonna repent of that? Yeah. That you know, takes time because uh, yeah. the apology, taking into you yes. know the the, the metaphor of the writer and the novel that results from it. The apology is just the preface. It's just the beginning. Yes. And the first chapter is the beginning of repentance, where we really dig in and and change course and change direction. Well, the thing is this. Just think about the AIDS uh, 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 situation, you know, like um, the pandemic of AIDS. Exactly. Right? Okay. So you imagine this. In less than a year, I will say for economic reasons, whatever the reasons are, we have a vaccine for COVID-19. Yes. But in more than three, 30, 40 years, we don't have a vaccine yet for AIDS. Oh. I know yeah. scientific scientists like you will mm-hmm. say, well, you know, it requires more work, da da da, da. And we'll, we, it's, it's okay, right? Well, but I what I'm saying, while we're yes. putting more money now yep. on COVID, and we didn't pay money on AIDS. Right. Because people think that AIDS, it's a gay disease. Exactly. That's wow. that's cruel to think about. We wow. have to repent on that. Wow. You know, so that's that kind of and it's happening, you know. And we made a judgment it. call. And then we have multinational corporations that see no benefit in coming up with a cure. They're more interested in coming out with a product that will get rid of the symptoms but not get rid of the disease, a cure. And that's the big difference. It's sort of you know the change, well, we have diff- different examples. Think of polio. We had a vaccine for polio, and we had a good and wonderful and giving individual who said, this is not for me in terms of the aggrandizement of the fact that I came up with a wonderful solution, a vaccine for polio, this horrific disease that affects children and adults. I want to give this away. That's true Repentance is not like they did something wrong. They did the right thing, and sure. they did it in, the, in a long-lasting sure. way. And we understand that. So, mm. the examples that you give of Native Americans and you know the indigenous folks in Canada and African Americans, both in the- and we need to repent to to the ugly things that America has done to the world. Absolutely. We need to repent about the ugly things that America has done to Latin America. Yes. So, but we can, we, can, we can have a long, long hour speaking about that, but just want to summarize this. One thing in what the voice says, you are my son, uh, same, same book uh, later, yep. tells a story, Jesus tells a story about uh, a man who owns uh, a property, and, oh, he, yeah. and he's people. renting the property, and he's sending one of his uh, servants to get uh, some of the money, or let's say the, uh, you know, um, whatever the product of that uh, property was. Yeah, so, sharecropping. And then he, they kill all the servants. Yep. And then he said, "I'm going to send my son." They won't do anything wrong to my son. So, and they kill him too. So, exactly. what, what I'm saying is that this reference of the "You are my son" is it's is closing the circle of the the arc of the story. Close when when they kill that son in the story. It's like you killed the, you killed my son. You, you didn't kill anyone. 
uh, an outsider. You kill yes. my own, my own, my flesh own and blood. Son. Exactly. So, and the other thing is that I know people like the desert, <laughs> yeah. but. The desert is just a temporary stage in life. Yep. So if your life is misery and miserable, you don't have to be there. That's not the plan. The plan is just you get you get some strength, you get you get more um, skills, whatever is that in introspection or or reflection, inner reflection. But it's just a temporary thing. Similar you, to the mountaintop that we so talked about you, last week. So you need to go back to the real life. Yep. Exactly. You, know, you cannot right. stay around uh, outside as an outsider because that's not the plan. The plan is just to go go back after you feel powerful and and, and you know and with all these uh, new things in your mind. Go back to the world and give what you have received in the desert to the world. Try yeah. to make a change. Exactly. Right. Filling so, up that cup and then pouring that cup out in goodness and acts toward others. Sure. And so now we're closing up. Any final word that you want to have? Yeah. So a I brief think, final word? <laughs> a brief. So I think that the biggest thing that we're saying is that there is... In, I'll just talk about my family. So we have four elements to an apology. The last one is action. And that, I think, is what we're talking about. It's not enough to just say you're sorry. Yeah, that's one. So you say you're sorry. Then you say, how can I make it right? And then you listen. Mm -hmm. And then you act. And that's the, those are the four elements of an apology in, in my home. And we talked about this before. But like, I feel like that's what you're saying. I feel like you're saying it's not enough that we just know about something. We know we messed up. It's so crucial to listen mm -hmm. and then to act on what the person has said. Even if you disagree, you, you have to hear it coming from them. Absolutely. Sure. So, well, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, our friends around the world, thank you for, for spending this time with us. So we bless you and hope uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Have fun. Leave us comments, email us, text us, call us. We love hearing from everybody. And um, your comments. And I'm sorry we couldn't. Uh, we need to answer some of these comments on Facebook or things like that. Absolutely. There's a lot of they, questions they that are coming out. in. Oh, so cool. Thank you, yeah. friends. Bye. 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 Thank you.